And so we are recording, recording in progress. Welcome to another episode of Women on Fire. I am one of your hosts. My name is Jamie and I'm a community-based uh, birth support person, formerly known as a midwife. Uh, yeah, and I'm the other person that, that hosts this recording you're listening to and and I also am in the community attending births people have babies and I show up <laughs> I study how the whole thing works <laughs> um so that's part of what we do <laughs> I think we're feeling a little silly today which is great we have a mama who's gonna have a baby today which is great um and we wanted to pick up where we left off. Um, we had uh, episode a couple a couple episodes back talking about the pushing phase, and we kept saying we're going to talk about placental birth as well. And Daniela also has a topic that she wants to talk about, um, which was an article that she or a, a post that she was um, viewing, and so. Uh, I think we'll start with the placental birth because we'll get through the technical and then we can go to the fun storytelling sharing. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's do the placenta, the unfinished business we've got. So, right, this is a continuation of the other podcast episode, which was supposed to be pushing and the placenta. So we talked about the pushing in that one episode and now we want to get to the placenta actually coming out. So uh, there's so much to say about it, but for one, I'm glad to just give it pretty much its own episode so that it can get the attention it often doesn't, right? It's just like, it's often just like this afterthought, right? It's called the afterbirth. It's like, oh, this extra thing that you don't really have to worry about, like whatever, <laughs> right? I mean, in really most birth ed classes, like, they don't really talk about the placenta birth like yeah it's a thing it'll come out don't worry like it's almost like yeah someone else will take care of it for you and that is often how it can be approached um uh that's there's active management which is how many providers might do it not saying all of them um but that is a common approach in active management meaning you're not just sitting and waiting for the body to birth the placenta um you're actively doing things to get it out, um, which might often include uh, like routine pitocin injection, um, often maybe in the IV. Um, and we can talk about the nuances there, but that is to simulate contractions, help it get out. Um, and often a practitioner's hands might be on the cord in the placenta as well, um, tugging on it to some degree and getting it out within minutes of the baby being born. Um, yeah, and that's a very general way that it tends to look in the technocratic model of birth. Um, that might be what many people are familiar with, and then that's it, and then it gets like, right by this point, the baby has totally been, been like clamped off, and the placenta goes away, and most people never see the placenta. They just don't see it. It gets taken away, usually sent to pathology and then just tossed or incinerated or whatever they do with placentas. I don't know what they do with them. 
<laughs> where do they go? If you guys know, could you email us? If anyone has some solid info, where do the placentas go? Where do the placentas go? We want to know. <laughs> I think it burned in biohazard, but I would like to know. It would be great if, yeah, it would be great mm-hmm. to know. So, yeah. So yeah. So, so that's the typical medical model of placental delivery. Yeah. Um, so now let's talk about the other ways it can look. Cause that's not what more theological. Hey, exactly. So what would the body do nature do if we didn't have Pitocin and people doing active management, someone outside of the woman's body? Well, so the baby comes out and well, here's the thing. The placenta birth can look so many different ways for different people as far as like, how long is it going to take? How's it going to feel? Um, it usually feels easier than the baby because it's smaller and it's got less bones. <laughs> um, uh, but still, for some people, it feels a little more tender than others. Um, it's got some weight to it, right? The placenta can be like a pound or two. Um, on average. So the weight of it coming through can be intense. Plus the baby just came through the vulva and all that, the whole space. Um, so things can be tender. Um, but okay. So how does it work? Right. So baby comes out, the placenta is attached to the uterus somewhere. That's always different for people too, but it's attached somewhere on the uterine wall. And there's often a little break after the baby comes out of of the mom not feeling the contractions, but then eventually they'll pick up. And those contractions are gonna help the placenta to get like pushed off the uterine wall, right? Um, And then once it's fully off the uterine wall, it's free to move down and out. Um, And the body just does that with the contractions. Something I heard someone say recently, though, was like, there isn't a fetal ejection reflex for the placenta. <laughs> and, and here's why they felt that needed to be said was because there's, well, we, I think, right, we talked about this in the pushing episode, right? If like, breathe down the baby and just let the fetal ejection reflex kick in, that that's something that some people do and it, it can kick in, not always, but it can. Um, but then following that same train of thought of like, just let the body do it. The body knows how to do it. You don't necessarily have to do anything on top of it sometimes. Um, if you follow that same train of thought, then you might be led to think, well, the same with the placenta. I don't really have to do anything. The body's just going to do it. And sometimes it does, but it's different than the baby. The baby's like an active participant, right? And it's bigger. And it's like it. sometimes the uterus will literally just right? Fetal ejection, it just ejects it (laughs) without the woman having to actively push. The body just does the pushing, but that doesn't happen with the placenta. So if you don't do something active, it, 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 not always, sometimes it really does just slide out without doing anything, but it might need a little bit more active support than just waiting around for the fetal ejection reflex. And that's not me saying, let your providers do active management and pull on your placenta routinely. That's not what I mean. (laughs) That's not what I mean either. Um, It just means that um, you as 
the woman birthing the baby in the placenta can like be more tuned into this, right? It's like we talk about reclaiming birth. I got to reclaim the placenta birth too. Yeah, it's all part of it. It's all, it's yeah. It, it's not part that, of it exactly. Not <laughs> birth until you. It's not an afterthought. It's not an afterbirth. It's still birth. <laughs> You're still birthing. <laughs> yeah. So. And yeah, that, so women taking their own initiative for active management also, right? If, if there's going to be traction put on the cord, you know, let the mother feel that she'll know if it's too much pressure or if it's too much pulling or her just moving around into different positions, um, getting back into the position that she was in when she birthed the baby because the placenta often likes to follow the same path. So if she was kneeling or hands and knees or, or, uh, and now she's reclining and cuddling her little love, you know, then, then her sort of moving around to help shimmy it. Cause sometimes it'll sit up on the pubic bone. Sometimes it's a little off center. Sometimes all the guts fall on top of everything. And so, cause there's no baby holding everything back. So the mom sort of being able to move and shimmy around into different positions can help. Yeah. And waiting for the cord to stop pulsing because then the body, the full exchange has happened and the body knows that like it's done. There's not even any, you know, those blood vessels are shutting down and closing off. And so trying not to rush it, but to like let it do its physiological transfer and the fetal ejection reflex with that I wanted to touch on that too is that sometimes there is a fetal ejection reflex and sometimes there is just this like desire to get that weight off your tailbone you feel it they feel it sitting there and they're like oh let's get rid of this and the body will cramp more and more typically sometimes the body doesn't cramp that much and you either need to help support bringing those cramps back by allowing the baby to nurse or get again, getting the mom up and active a little bit. Um, and yeah, that's some of the physiological ways that it can unfold. Yeah, in some ways it's kind of just simple and straightforward. It's like, oh, it'll just come off the wall of the uterus and you'll feel it in your body and it's something that no one else can feel but you'll feel it's just something I've heard mom saying like some can kind of really tune in to where the placenta is in the body like you said it's like oh it's just sitting on the tailbone or like it's moved down and it's ready to come out or right they can give it a bit of a tug and they will sense in their body if that feels comfortable and if they can tug more and if it's really ready to keep coming out or if it's not. Um, I guess that can lead us to talking about like actually tugging on it Um, because this goes into the birth plan conversation we had with the last episode too of I think we talked about it anyways. Uh, (laughs) Yeah right but that's usually in conversation with the providers um, in the, you know, technocratic model where that might be more routine, which is why it's important to ask the provider you plan to work with, like, what do you do during uh, the birth of the placenta, right? 
Good um, questions to ask prenatally, honestly. Is to oh, say, yeah. What, to, when you're talking to your provider, even you may only get five to seven minutes. So, you know. Yeah, and really five. try to get the question answered because one time I tried to get that answered. But granted, it was in labor. I was like, oh, you know, like, do you want to ask them how do they take care of the placenta birth or something? And so they asked and then the doctor was just like, oh, well, yeah, you know, the placenta will just come out. Like, didn't really answer like, well, like, we want to know what you do. <laughs> like, are you just going to let it come out or anyways, like just get a good answer out of them. <laughs> and if you don't ask. Telling of whether or not they, that process, you know, um, how they look at the whole process when they look at the end process, are they really afraid that like, if I don't actively do something, something bad could happen, you know, as opposed yeah. to like, well, the body, if the body ejected the baby largely, um, more often than not, the body's gonna eject the placenta too. Um, you know, there are those rare circumstances of placenta accreta or retained placenta, um, maybe placenta's friable or whatnot, but all the more reason to not really pull on yeah. the, the the placenta and the cord, if it's attached to the uterine wall, you could pull the uterus. If it is, um, you know, a friable placenta, you could leave pieces inside attached to the uterine wall. Um, Which you hear those stories very frequently. Yeah, yeah. And all the Pitocin in the world isn't going to necessarily expel that bit of placenta that is inside. So, um, you know, it causes more risk of hemorrhage and, and things like that. Even just that active management can sometimes irritate the uterus more and cause more bleeding because it's that disturbance between the baby being born that connection, that oxytocin rush, and then the body recognizing that the baby is outside and then saying, oh, okay, time to dispel this. Um, but if it's chaos and worry and adrenaline, which there is adrenaline even in that joyful space, but that more fearful adrenaline, um, it just as in labor, it can shut down that process. It can shut down the process of the expulsion of the placenta as well. So when there's a lot of um, worrisome excitement immediately following the birth of the baby, it can impede and even cause that hemorrhage possibility in that phase. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's not often talked about or, or acknowledged either, um, but you're interfering with the natural process, right? Just like we have so many conversations about well, careful not to interfere in labor because that's a very delicate, you know, cascade of hormones that interact with each other. And if you interfere by just turning on the lights or asking the woman too many questions or, you know, that can really disrupt the rhythm of labor. Um, well, you know, the same with the, the placenta birth. There is a the hormone dance continues, right? So still in labor, you're still in labor. Exactly. It's literally the third stage of labor. If you want to get technical, like even the medical world understands it's a stage of labor. So it's still part of that. Um, so what you say, Jamie, right, of like getting pulled on, 
by an outside source that might not that cannot feel the nuances of the woman's body of like is it okay to pull harder or not that might lead to more bleeding if the placenta is really not ready or pulling out the uterus and has an epidural then she can't even Uh, how that tug is affecting her internally because all she feels is pressure she doesn't feel sharp stuff right and then there's a uterine prolapse and she's told oh well that's just because you had a baby that's just what happens too long are you right which not saying doesn't happen but they always chalk it off to oh yeah that well that's just labor well, and we also have a solution for that, right? So like the purple pushing or the pushing and then the baby flying out and then like, don't worry, we can suture you. And that's all well and good that we can do those things, but it would be really great if we're offering antibiotics to prevent a one in 2000 babies getting GBS, then why are we not preventing tears <laughs> yeah. or you know that's a much more likely scenario because of force pushing because of instrumental delivery and you know we have a solution for that we have a solution for that don't worry we'll deal with it but why not do preventative on that end too yeah yeah so exactly. and if even that if there is like trauma at in the vulva from the birth, then sometimes women are more hesitant to deliver their placentas because it's Mm. really sore and really tender. Yeah. Right. So how can we prevent issues with placenta birth or, or what's the best way to honor the physiology, right? Is, um, we'll keep holding the space, the, what's important in holding the space in labor when, you know, when the baby's still in the womb, it's, it's pretty much all the same factors. Give that woman space, respect her. Don't be all up in her face unnecessarily asking her all the questions and things. Like, yeah, observe, check in, do what you need to confirm that things are okay, but still honor the, yes, the energy of it. <laughs> but really honoring the energy because that's connected to the hormone cascade, right? You want her to still feel safe and respected meeting her seeing her baby for the first time like just chill out and let them drink in that moment take Um, a moment and you drink in that moment (laughs) you witness this like love like this crashing of you know you imagine like the running across the field and hugging someone (laughs) around like just let that happen. Let that moment happen. Yeah, they're meeting the love of their life. <laughs> don't don't interrupt that, right? Right. So there's the golden hour, which honestly I feel like you could call it more than just an hour. But sure, okay, whatever. At least an hour. Okay, fine. <laughs> but that let them be in their special sacred experience with each other. Um and meanwhile, the body will do the work for the placenta to come forth hey. without fear and without. And, and as we always say, it's as we always say, it's not always or never. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but more often than not, if you honor a physiological process, nature's not wrong. And, and there are those few times where 
an attendant, somebody supporting may need to step in or may need to offer suggestions or the baby does need support and that interruption is necessary. We're not talking about those situations. Those situations are different. Obviously, those are the situations where action needs to happen. But when you truly can sit with the space, honor the process, those are the least likely scenarios. NICUs are not full because women are choosing home birth. Exactly. And this is about understanding physiology and the normal just because that we need more of that um, and understanding why routine active management preemptively for everyone and why giving Pitocin to everyone, which some places do, they will give you Pitocin right after you have your baby um, is not necessary and, and potentially actually doing a lot of harm in the long run. Um, so yeah, I said I'd come back to the whole Pitocin afterwards. Um, we've had these conversations lots of times, but I guess I really just want to point it out to people that it's more routine than you think. And a lot of people don't think they got Pitocin uh, in their birth. And then while kind of hashing out the details of it, they realize, ha I totally got Pitocin and didn't even know it. And it's like, oh my goodness. Oh, I can't believe that um, informed consent is is not utilized, you know, to but you walk in and sign an, a consent. To them, that's consent. Yeah. It's like you signed your life over to us. We can do anything. We'll inject anything we, we think is necessary into your body. Like, oh, okay. But I guess maybe that that is the the lesson or insight that they or some of them try not to generalize, but some of them will really think just the fact that you signed an initial administration informed consent form when you walked in is enough to cover anything they want to do. So you have to, unfortunately, you know, really be on top of checking in about what they're doing and not Well, doing and sometimes things are done because it makes them more comfortable, you know, and whether it's necessary or not. And again, part of that is just training and, and, and even peer pressure of, well, this is what you need to do because this is either hospital protocol or this is like our group practice has agreed to this, or this is what our insurance says has to happen because of risk management. And, you know, and unfortunately that clogs the, the pipes for some of these doctors that maybe would like to be more honorable or respectful of the natural process, but they're bound by bureaucracy. Um, and even midwives, you know, I mean, there's, there's plenty of them who have been indoctrined into the, um, especially these sort of newer midwives, which actually that's a topic I'd love to talk about when I was reading this, this letter from NARM or um, about the new midwives coming in and what people want and what they expect and then and then recognizing well people want and expect these things because that's what they're told is, is necessary now um so you know and and what happened to the old ways and the old midwives because because outcomes aren't better <laughs> 
and yet we're trading humanity for technology. Um, and that's even the card that was dealt in Hawaii when all this licensure stuff came down the pipes where they spoke about um, well, this is what people expect. And it's like, well, if people expect that because it is the medical overreach and overtake, and that's what's being indoctrined in. Same with like, so this is what you do. You go to school and it's the placenta is being born and you hook up that IV bag with that Pitocin because you already have a saline lock in place, even though a saline lock isn't evidence-based practice. And so, <laughs> but we've got it in there, so we got to use it. And it is hard to talk about these things without sounding like you're digging on that system. And um, because it kind of is a, a little bit of a like, not, I don't know if I want to even call it a digging on it, but, but like a curiosity of like, why are these things in place and who do they serve? Um, and I, it kind of goes actually perfectly into the article that you read or even the birth I just attended at the hospital where they wanted to give her a saline lock and she's eight centimeters. And I tell them that she doesn't want it. And they say, well, it makes us feel more comfortable if, and the woman was like, I'm not here to make you comfortable. Brilliant. <laughs> I just want to get in the bathtub and I don't want that thing in my arm. <laughs> Brilliant, right. They were expecting her to compromise her comfort for their discomfort or whatever. For their protocol. For their, which is based on comfort. Which apparently. is based on what makes well, them. That was good honesty from them, at least. <laughs> yeah, totally. It was actually really great. And it was also really great for this woman to recognize, you know, I'm having my third baby and I'm eight centimeters and all I want is the bathtub. Like, <laughs> yeah. and to stick to that and it's like I, that's just what I'm doing I'm well and to just really be right the truth of like I'm that's not what I'm here for oh man yeah if you get anything of this podcast episode today let it be that like stick to your truth honor your truth like oh embody it as much as you can especially in the throes of labor let no one tell you nothing about nothing you do your thing <laughs> Oh man, you brought up a lot actually. And now there's a huge truck parked outside. Um, I can't. Hear. <laughs> oh, good. Great. I'm glad. Okay. So, okay. I want to finish one point I had about placentas. And then I want to read something that Gloria LeMay put up about it's what you just brought up about different ways of practicing. Because I actually want people to know it's what you said, Jamie. It's a system. And you can find that system anywhere. It kind of came from the hospital realm, right? They're the ones that tend to have created and perpetuated the technocratic mainstream medical model, whatever you want to call it. But you can be birthing at home and have that model still come into your home, depending on who you're choosing. So don't think that just because you're choosing to be at home with the midwife, that that by default means that you are free from routine Pitocin or, you know, whatever things that you tend to associate with only the hospital. Because like you said, there's a newer generation of midwives or, or maybe a better word for it is just like the mainstream version of professionalized midwifery. Um, 
which is more in alignment with the technocratic model. So you really got to talk to whoever you're going to birth with, no matter where, don't assume anything about them just because, oh, they're a midwife. They must be natural and holistic and the most patient people in the world because they might and they might not. So ask them point blank about these things. Um, so, so yeah. Well, and how they got their education because, you know, these schools are getting funded from larger organizations. And I think we mentioned on a previous podcast that, you know, even ACOG was lobbying for licensure for midwives in all states. They had a heavy, um, a heavy lobbying to start regulating out of hospital births as if they have any say or clue into how that operates. Um, and if you don't support it, and now you're lobbying to regulate it, then, and where did your midwife learn and how did they get their education and what's their belief system? So, um, and again, if we're putting every, funneling everyone through school, then and the schools are funded by these larger organizations, then that's the education you're gonna get. You're... Yeah. And you know what? Oh my gosh. So the time limits of placentas, you know, when do they need to be born yeah. by? It's like, <laughs> if you talk to us, we're like, well, there's no hard number. It's all circumstantial and it depends on what's going on in front of you. I mean, we've certainly been in situations where it's like, no, you got, we need to act now. We're not waiting around. Um, so I'm not saying always sit on your hands and always do nothing. Like, no, that's not what we're saying. We're saying like, look at what's going on in front of you that's what if anything I guess I'm just not for routine things like no like I said earlier not everyone needs Pitocin right away some people do but it's a matter of responding to what's going on in the moment right so gosh I really hope you can still hear me loudest truck in the world um you fine okay. and I don't <laughs> the uh right so um routine use of things isn't my jam my jam is paying attention to what's going on in front of you um and I kind of lost part of my train of thought there but I did want to come back around oh the, the time limits with placentas yeah sorry right because you ask some people and they will totally tell you there is a time limit and it's usually based more on their comfort zone um and often they genuinely believe, no, the placenta, it's, if it's not out within a certain time frame, it's not safe. Um, and it differs, but you really got to talk to who you're birthing with, because I know there's many licensed midwives in different parts of the country. Different states have time constraints they put on their licensed midwives. If your moms at home have not birthed their placenta within an hour, you have to transport them to the hospital. I know that's a common one. I don't remember which states, but that is the case in some of them. Um, and some have longer or shorter timeframes of their, either their comfort zone or um, what they're legally allowed to do. Um, I know in some places it's 20 minutes. I'm not sure anywhere in the US, but I know um, outside of the US it can be. Um, I think Hospitals in Hawaii are 30 minutes. 30 minutes before they want to do active management? Before, yeah, before they go in and get it. In the meantime, um, they're already doing active management. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, 30 minutes before they go in and manually get it out. Okay, right. So if you're not telling them, no, I don't consent to you sticking your hand inside of me, that's what they'll go and do. Yeah. Okay, so, so there's that. And again, like I said, there's definitely been moments where like, oh, actually, we can't, like, it's been minutes after the birth and we need to do things right now. Um, it's all circumstantial. Uh, but generally, most people are actually okay. And I, I don't know. I think maybe most placentas tend to take more than half an hour. <laughs> I don't well, know what, maybe more than half of them. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and there's ways to even visualize or do some gentle touch to make sure there's no internal bleeding and things like that. So to be mindful, right? Because sometimes that's the worry too. Well, if the placenta is in the way and not coming out, is she actively bleeding inside, but we can't see because the placenta is blocking the blood from coming out. And so, you know, just doing like super gentle touch to see is the uterus shrinking? Is it rising? You know, where is it at in there? Does the woman need to urinate? <laughs> Does she, you know, um, to, to make the space or to alleviate some of the pressure? So um, there's things that you can do while you wait if you feel like you need to do something or if you have that sneaking suspicion that like maybe we should try to encourage this to come sooner you know those are things that you can if you're worried you can have checkpoints of like okay the uterus isn't rising so there's no rush we're okay Right. You can check her bolts. You can see how this woman is doing and feeling. Look at the color. Look at her lips. She's getting clammy. Does it look like the blood is draining out of her body? Like just, you know, people go pale or just start acting a little more tired or woozy. Or, right. There's things that you can be trained to pay attention to and just observe. That's one of the things I freaking love about Jamie. She's like the most amazing observer in the freaking world. Like attention to details. She picks up on these nuances. That's what you got to pay attention to. But the technocratic model doesn't really focus on that. I mean, the textbook doesn't really, you know, have well, a chapter on like, be observant. It's not a thing. Well, and you have to do, right? Like a lot of midwives get in trouble because of their charting. Right. 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 Oh, art's not complete. They didn't listen to the baby at one minute. They didn't, right. they didn't and have a placenta out in 20 minutes. They... Right. And if you transport after that, well, then are you going to lose your license? And then this is a there's whole classes on defensive charting. Straight up. Yeah. And then it's like, who are we? I thought we were trying to like, I mean, I'm not trying to save people from anything, but, I, you know, I really got into this to like nourish a paradigm that was outside of the medical system by and large, um, at least the authoritative parts of it. Uh, not that everything medical is bad but that it's just getting away from what is actually best for this person. And then it's sucking the humanity out of it. Cause like, you're not looking at the person in front of you and this isn't an episode about bleeding or hemorrhages, but that would be a great one to have. But you know, some of the same principles apply of like, was a hemorrhage for one person is not for the other. And it's like, look at the person in front of you. How are they actually doing? Be observant, pay attention to the human, right? Be human. <laughs> <laughs> um, instead of just routine and make people try to fit them into a formula right yeah women are not algorithm ah! 
And anyone try to tell her that she is, ooh, you better watch out. Talk about women on fire. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we're not algorithm, that's for freaking sure. Um, so, so yeah, I'm gonna circle back to the placenta pulling part. Right, so we talked about why placenta pulling can be problematic, right? We've heard all these stories of like, they pulled on my placenta and then the cord broke and then a hemorrhage or then pieces were left inside me and then they had to go in and scoop them. Or we've seen placentas that are like, shredded like how did how prolapsed uterus oh. even if it's not all the way out just the like the heaviness of it sitting really? also part of that is how you're you know advised to behave afterward and a lot of times the medical model is like oh walk around so you don't get blood clots but if you tell someone to walk around you know or even again, we've talked about this, the postpartum where it's just like, okay, go home and resume your normal life. And it's like, no, your whole pelvic floor was just completely stretched. Your whole uterus and your whole body was completely stretched with a human. And now it's kind of like just hanging there. And if you don't rest, if you pull your placenta out and like pull all those muscles and then your body doesn't rest, even pulling your baby out. Mm-hmm. Right, which tends to be a common way for um, certain practitioners to to do that. Just pull the baby out once they can get their hands around them. So, um, so we've made a pretty solid case about why that can be problematic to do, to just pull out the placenta uh, or to have someone else do that on the outside of you. However, um, that's here's the thing that you might not hear as often is that it can actually be okay to pull on a placenta, particularly the person herself, <laughs> right? The actual woman who birthed the baby and has a placenta inside of her um, because she can feel those nuances in her body of whether it's okay to pull more or not. Um, and that's awesome. Again, sometimes the placenta just like sort of plops out. Sometimes it needs a little more tugging, you know, uh, while you're also pushing uh, and probably feeling contraction, but maybe not. So it just can, it can just, it might be okay to do sometimes. Um, so I'm not, so don't fall into the always or never. Just also don't fall into letting routine things be done to you by someone else that just because that's just what they do. I guess that's, that's the warning sign here. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so yeah. Sometimes you can pull out placentas. And honestly, sometimes it's okay for a practitioner to support you too, but not in a disconnected way of not caring for what's going on in your body. I remember one woman, she was like, I'm like, she's like, I don't have hands. I need to support myself with my hands. And she didn't want them to touch her at all. But then eventually she's like, actually, yeah, I've, it's ready to come out. Can you just pull it out? And they did. And that was great. Right? So she was very clear she didn't want it. And then she was paying attention to the circumstances of the moment and she decided what was best for her and and spoke it and gave them permission to help her so you know so great you can do that yeah do it. yeah okay so so i wasn't planning on reading this but jamie you, you just brought up this you know midwifery conundrum of how it's changed over time and the direction it's going and I read this last night um I don't really know Gloria LeMay I just know she's one of the 
like a big name in the birth world. She's been around for a while. Or maybe I think you know more about Written her than quite me. a bit. And she's yeah, she's sort of looked at as like a um truly a person who holds space for women and has and has not wavered from that. Yeah. Um okay, so that's her and uh, she made a post yesterday about a friend of hers and I'm just going to read it because it really speaks to this whole thing where's midwifery going and and ah, where did it come from sort of okay so first it starts with her saying something and then she quotes her friend so Gloria says there are some midwives in the USA who have such hearts of gold it moves me to tears Babs Covington of North Carolina is one of them I adore her. She's part of my gener my generation of midwives, and you won't find a more grounded, common sense, kind midwife anywhere. Here's something she wrote. Quote, I'm feeling like a dinosaur in my own times. I try to get it across to young woman what it was supposed to be, the resurgence of midwifery, the power it was supposed to bring back to women, to know their strengths, to nurture their babies, and change the world just by the way they mothered. I've tried to explain teepee births and brightly colored buses pulling into the driveways to wait and have their babies with you. Then the transition to going into homes where the peris, peers, P-E-R-E-S, had multiple degrees. Uh, I guess the peers maybe, okay. I've explained how to love your clients into the place where they needed, where they need to be to have their babies. I've explained the story where the midwife quit on her 40-week twin mother and how the mother called, trying to find someone who would say yes. And we were going to meet on Friday and her labor started on Thursday night and how you should get in the car and go on and how you will be rewarded just by the joy you get to be a part of it. Even if you're driving all the way to Georgia to help a woman you've never met because she needs you. I am grateful for all the years I had I've had flowing in birth. I worry about all the young women who think being respected at the hospital is the top line of their profession. I am worried about the women who call midwifery their profession when I have always thought of it as my vocation. I feel like the ponderous bulk of my big butt and tail is knocking over the furniture in a nice meeting hall and my short little arms are thrashing about trying to pick up the mess I've made. Thanks for listening. Babs Covington. <laughs> uh, she seems great. I want to meet her. <laughs> um, so and it runs off of the thing that I had also talked about. Another letter. The other letter, yeah, from um, <clears throat> go ahead, you talk and I will find out who wrote it. Oh, okay, cool from man um, man that one just hit me because yeah showing up for someone you've never met it's like yeah that's that's totally a thing um but it, it's I guess I sometimes forget to take pause and realize oh maybe most people wouldn't do that because it's a liability you don't know her you don't know her medical history you didn't check her labs you don't know her numbers she didn't sign the informed consent papers let alone twins oh my gosh isn't that illegal <laughs> it's not where i'm at um it's not for me it's not for me but um 
these are some of the barriers that many people would put up and I hear the words that this woman writes she's lamenting what midwifery um, is supposed to be about and the direction it's going Um, yeah and that getting cahoots and budding up with the medical system is taking precedence instead of woman's autonomy and power Yeah, the article that I read was from MANA Secretary Renata Hillman, and it was in one of their recent things, uh, one of their recent um, emails. And she wrote, expected skills and equipment. Do you have the skills and equipment a mama expects her midwife to have? There was a time when home birth meant natural birth, but not so anymore for many midwives and mamas. Many midwives carry pharmaceuticals, rupture membranes routinely, induced labor routinely, cut and suture episiotomies, et cetera. Many mamas expect those items and skills to be available and utilized. So I think that that's an interesting viewpoint from someone who has been practicing for a super long time. She talks about loving midwifery, not as a professional, not as a career, but as her true God-given calling. And something about loving on a mama when she's the most vulnerable and seeing and smelling that precious newborn baby and the look on her face as she adores her prize right after birth and knowing that her life has been spent well supporting that. So it's really interesting to see where midwifery is heading and then that question of like, why is it because it's the narrative? Is this really what women want or do are they still seeking this original traditional midwife? And isn't there room for both? Mm-hmm. Exactly. If you want your placenta pulled out, isn't it okay to find somebody who will do that as long as they're truly informing you about the risks and benefits of it, you know, or do you want a midwife that trusts that not only can you birth your baby, but your placenta too. And they're not going to be afraid every time they walk into a room that a woman's birthing that she may hemorrhage and have the stacks of drugs. And I mean, I don't know that I believe that all women are expecting their midwives to cut and suture episiotomies. Yeah. And if you are someone who you dive into all this stuff and then you decide, and I still want Pitocin administered right after my baby comes out, just preemptively because I just do, period. Because the risk is not worth it to me. Sure. Right. You have fears, you've bled before, whatever. You just do. You have a gut feeling. I don't know. Cool. Great. Then it's your choice. And you know, by and large, you know what you're choosing. You from a you know they say true informed consent. It's like you actually have to be informed, right, <laughs> in order to give that type of consent. So it's not about not doing the interventions necessarily. It's just from people choosing for themselves and um, uh, not doing it just routinely. And um, yeah knowing what you're choosing, having the ability to choose yourself. So that's 
trippy how the letter you just read really mirrored this other one I found. <laughs> They're literally right. both saying like. And there's similar generation. I mean, this yeah. woman has been in practice for a very long time too. Yeah. Uh, it was beautiful to see the comments underneath the one I read because there were some people chiming in like, like, don't worry, we're carrying on the work. Like, uh, there's not, there, there's a few of us that are still working in that way, you know? Um, 1981 she started practicing when I was born oh man (laughs) she was 21 yeah the resurgence of midwifery within the U.S. um you know it's like digging into the history of it it's fascinating really but um she also quotes Eric Hoffer in times of change learners inherit the earth while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. Ooh. That's deep. Yeah. Yeah. Which side do you want to be on, folks? <laughs> well, or to really just honor it all, right? Why? I don't know. If you have all of these options, why limit all these options? Why say that there's only one or two ways. Yeah, I guess power. We all know are... there's so many ways. How do you yeah. cope with loss? How do you cope with extreme change? Those are different for everyone. Yeah. How do you cope with someone giving you bad advice about not being in a hot tub for five minutes? When you're- <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Right. I I got a text this morning about that from someone. (laughs) Unsolicited advice that you're going to give your baby um, malformations by being in this hot tub. She's like, I've been here for five minutes. I'm okay. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Good for her. Yeah. Oh, man. That one throws me into a bit of a spin. All the things that people tell you, you know, be careful. Don't drink coffee while you're pregnant. Don't eat wheat cheese. Don't be in the hot tub for five minutes but then go chewed up with pharmaceuticals all the time in the hospital yeah (laughs) or make other choices again that like other people would consider risky and wouldn't do right ride motorcycles with no helmets uh get in a bicycle without a helmet (laughs) (laughs) i do that all the time and the amount of people that will stop or to tell me like where's your helmet i'm just like i just crack up every time like man do you have something better to do with your day (laughs) (laughs) thank you for your concern oh yeah uh, sure i definitely say that a lot (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i'm super thankful for their concerns so the main thing um as we always say is stay educated stay curious ask questions how do you want that time to look when you're birthing your baby and do you want all the things or do you want someone who can hold space know what normal looks like and only intervene if it's actually necessary and and sit with those questions and just because someone doesn't come with the arsenal of baggage and equipment doesn't mean that they aren't actually perfectly equipped to support you or to know when we've stepped out of the normal realm and it's time to step into um, finding some support. 
um, that maybe, you know, cause largely birth is not medical and occasionally it is. So, um, often when there's interventions at home, we, you still end up, it's a stabilization and then a going into the hospital for more medical support. Um, sometimes you can keep all emergent situations at home. Um, but sometimes it's that step to get you to that next place. And, um, be educated, see what does your intuition say? And what does your choices now mean for your trajectory as a mother, as a partner, as a person who's gonna hold space for little people? Yeah, and that it's okay for you to make a decision that's different than what's expected of you by society or your providers. Um, because everyone will relate to risk differently and that is okay, right? First, some people will not get on an airplane. They don't appreciate the potential risk of anything happening. Cool. And some people could care less and they're like, whatever, I'll totally be fine and then go. And all of them are valid. It's fine. So presented with different information and statistics and experiences and perspectives, um, you can't expect everyone to come to the same conclusion uh, for a decision or what they will choose to do, you know? Well, and to just respect that we're in such a culture right now, we're in such a like flurry about separating people, right? It's like, it's the race card, it's the vaccine card, it's the mask card, it's the all these different ways to like, you're a Republican or a Democrat, you're a this or you're a that, you know, there's always, and how many ways can we divide the pie to basically put you in a six foot square box of social distancing, as opposed to like, just seeing like, okay, I see where you're at. And I would never choose that because I've weighed the risks and benefits for myself. But you do you and I can respect you because I haven't walked your walk. I don't know why you would ever choose that, right? People say, oh my gosh, you're so brave to have your baby at home. And the people who are having their babies at home is like, oh my gosh, you're so brave to have your baby in the hospital. <laughs> and it's, and that's okay, but less divisiveness and more understanding. And I really strongly feel that like women would feel less traumatized if they were part of conversations around their pregnancy and around their birth and around supporting their growing children, as opposed to the polarization and the authoritative process versus just like conversation and well, what makes you feel safe? What makes you feel comfortable? And then how can I support you in that, whether you agree or not? You know what? There's this midwife researcher, Sarasvati Vedam. She's freaking amazing. Go find her if you don't know about her. And she's done a lot of research into a lot of aspects of midwifery, one of them being like, what is important to women to what makes a difference in them saying that they were satisfied with their experience or not. Um, and it's not about whether they had a certain intervention or not. Um, it wasn't even about whether they had a C-section or not necessarily. It was about how they were treated and how the role that they got to play in their own birth. Were they disrespected 
and not educated and informed of what was going on were they just being treated poorly and like uh, peer pressured or fear mongered into something that they didn't really want um, or were they actually treated as a human <laughs> you know, that's that, what mattered and Did that's they get to be an active participant in their birth totally. or treated as a child and that's what I have also found. I feel like that's experience space too, you know, working in both worlds. And, you know, there are certain obstetricians that I refer people to because I know that the woman will be a part of her care as opposed to being cared for. Yeah. Um, and there's others that I would say, you know, I, well, you know, how do, how do you feel in their presence? <laughs> I'm not going to tell yeah. someone they shouldn't see someone because they might connect with someone that I don't jive with. But I, some, you know, I try to be really truthful about also that. How do you feel when you ask certain questions? How do you feel like you're a participant or do you feel like you're being talked at or told what to do? And when you ask questions, does it feel defensive or does it feel like an open conversation? And those, those are what creates good, safe outcomes mm -hmm. is where a person feels like they're part of the conversation. And then we bring it back to the placentas. It's so important for moms to feel safe when those placentas need to be born, you know? And safety has to do with bleeding as well and, and, and how fear can play into it. If they don't feel safe to let go, they might hold on to that placenta or if something's off, they might not birth that placenta or, or birth it well or something. Um, again, I won't go into the bleeding, but you know, hold that space for her to keep feeling empowered and connected with her, her baby, her, her spirit, her body, um, and that she can still do this, still have that belief in her. Like, you got this. Still trust the process and the design, because by and large, it works because <laughs> nature needs it to do to work for the survival of the species because that's what biology likes to do is survive <laughs> yes well yeah. i am gonna hold off on my my story about the induction for next time i guess that's <laughs> that's what we do apparently it's we we tease you with a topic and then that's right a little cliffhanger like, so you come oh, back one at a time <laughs> exactly so, so but we'll be back right? yes tune in next week we might have a special guest we might have this conversation about this story we might we're just gonna surprise you we're gonna be spontaneous like birth indeed we will but but inevitably we will come back to the thing just yeah when oh I don't know. Surrender to the mystery of it all. Don't be controlling. <laughs> don't try to micromanage. Trust the Trust flow. flow. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we're so grateful to have been able to share this time with you. If you have questions or comments or you um, want to talk about how you delivered your placenta or um, want to join us, have a story to share or some wise wisdom for our community circle, then um, send us an email, womenonfirepodcast at gmail.com. And 
Um, if you know where the placentas go, please tell me. <laughs> where do the placentas go? Are they in yeah. the face cream? <laughs> I, we want to get to the bottom of this. Are they going um, to Mexico for cell, stem cell research? Where seriously? are they? Who are they being are sold they? to? <laughs> are they in your um, injectable? Yeah, exactly. What is happening with them? Let us so, know. Email us. All right. We love you. And Aloha. thanks for coming. Bye. <laughs>